Welcome back, everybody. My name is Martin Foster, and you're listening to the 692nd Podcast. With me today, I have two guests, more than just guests, two of my favorite people, part of my, my squad, if you will. From the Airman Development Flight, we have Staff Sergeant Kathleen Huntsman and Tech Sergeant Devin Muscaro. How are you guys? Hello. Hi, I'm good. That's so awkward, Devin. You're like, hello. <laughs> how well do you think Muscaro is going to do on this? podcast and vodcast because we all, we all know how much he loves being in front of camera and in front of people. I think at the beginning, it's going to be a little awkward. And then it'll, once it gets into like normal conversation, it'll get more comfortable because he knows us. Can I do an impression of Muscaro? Absolutely. So there's no impressions of me. He's first, he's going to say, here we go. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Two weeks ago or whenever it was, he comes up to me. So when we podding. <laughs> I can see that. Something like that, right? Yeah. I wanted to have both of you on today because I want to talk about the mentor-mentor-e relationship and whatever else, right? We're kind of like, I don't have any questions prepared, but I feel like I know both of you well enough. We know each other well enough. We've all, we've been through a lot together, right? But I also want to talk about lasting impressions. And the reason I say that is because for everyone listening, first impressions are absolutely important. Like don't ever undervalue first impressions. However, they're not the only thing. People always talk about first impressions. Well, don't neglect lasting impressions because to me, those are actually probably even a little bit more important. I know people who've made great first impressions, but they're lasting. They left a negative lasting impression on me. And when I think about those people, I don't think about that first impression. I think about that last interaction I had with them. So again, lasting impression. I thought it'd be fitting for Sergeant Mascaro to come on this show because prior to me moving to the 392nd, I managed uh, what was formerly called the transition program, but now called Airman, now called Airman Development Flight. And Sergeant Huntsman and Sergeant Muscaro were part of the permanent staff, aka my squad. Damn, it was a good time. It was. But so, th- uh, Brad, this is definitely being reco- like recorded right over video. I have a gift for Muscaro. Uh, yeah, I have a gift. Close your eyes. Uh, <laughs> is it from Burger King? Open it. <laughs> Can I open my eyes? Yeah, yeah you okay. can open your eyes. Oh, it is. It's Burger King. Open in, open inside. All right. Here we uh, Show everyone. So, uh, say, bag from Burger King, and inside is an empty fry container. There are no fries. Because I ate them. In here. Or if I can quote you. Here we uh, go. Uh, I, I eat them. <laughs> so before we talk to Sergeant Huntsman, please share that story of the first time we met. And don't worry, I'll fill in any gaps. Yeah, so make sure there's my, uh, my perspective is probably a little bit different. There was a call put out by the unit. There was an airman who was going through some tough times, needed some extra watch. The unit put out a call for people to come by the unit and just sit with them for X amount of hours a day. On the weekend? On the weekend, right. So I come in there. And civvies. I think it was only supposed to be like a two-hour watch, something like that. But I came in wearing civvies thinking I would just show up and sit down and whatever, check some email, and and that'd be it. But before I even got to a desk, I see this guy who I don't know come over, and he's like, what? I don't remember what you said, but it's basically like, what are you doing or who are you? <laughs> Why are you not in uniform? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I think your memory of this situation is better. But basically, you sent me home immediately to go change. So that's the PG version. Yeah. 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 So 
like Simon Scarlett said, there's an airman that got into, was going through some tough times, got into a little bit of trouble. So as a result, he had to report in on the weekends. And thankfully, all the, and I was that member's flight chief. And thankfully for all the other flight chiefs, we kind of banded together. And each flight, we uh, each flight rotated through their people and who would come in. And because someone had to be here, I think it was 12 hour days on this on Saturday and Sunday. So someone always had to be here and it had to be an NCO. So thankfully, but the flight chiefs banded again, the flight chiefs banded together. We supported one another and members from other flights came in to help provide a weekend duty. So this is going on, I think, for two months. So I would go in on every single weekend. Not only would I sit shift, I'd, I'd go home and I'd change and I'd come back and I, I would bring whoever was working. I'd bring them food or just to personally say thank you. And, you know, maybe staff certain so-and-so, but I never, I never told people my rank. I was just in civilian clothes when I would, because I didn't want people to feel intimidated or anything. So the person who Mascara was replacing, I said, hey, if you want to go home, take off early. I, I, you know, I can cover for the next 30 minutes or so before your relief comes in. And I did not know Sergeant Mascara at this time. So he, he walks in and... People had, if you're, if you were the NCO on duty, you had to be in uh, either PT gear or ABUs, the uniform of the day. Summer Skull rolls in and, you know, a t-shirt and some jeans or whatever. And he's got Burger King. So I immediately approached him and I was confused and I was like, hey, who are you? And at this point, I've been in the unit for almost two years, year and a half. So I didn't, I didn't recognize this guy. And long story short, there was a, a little bit of back and forth. We're both, <laughs> both in civilian clothes. Some, uh, I think it got a little, little, a little tense. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Right. And I never once said my ranks. I didn't want to, I did not want to pull rank. I was like, no, this is just two guys. We're going to hash this out. Like we don't know each other. Like we're, you know, we're men, we're professionals. We'll, we'll handle this. But again, it got, it was, uh, it was a little intense. So I told Mascaro and I said, where do you live? And he told me, you know, he lived on base. And I said, well, go home, change and come back. And you weren't even shaving either. That's what was hilarious too. Like, and I said, before you left, I know she had the Burger King. And I was like, I was trying to make light of the situation. I was like, <laughs> you know, I said, what do you got in the back? And, and I was, he said, French fries. And I'm like, you, you better pray to God. There's some French fries left in there for me. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I opened up the back. I was going to grab a French fry. Like in my mind, that made sense. Like perfect punishment, right? Like you will give me a fry. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, so I looked in the bag and all the fries are gone. And I, asked, I was like, I was like, I was like, and I just, I guess I had like this look on my face where I just gave like a big sigh. And I'm like, what happened to all the fries? And very nervously, <laughs> you said, oh, oh I, I ate them. So that was in July, 2017. Right. So probably not the best first impression for either one of us. However, I think, and that's the importance of lasting impressions, because if you base everything off first impressions, you could be robbing yourself of an amazing time, an amazing bond with someone. So to everyone listening, again, I, I've said it multiple times, lasting impressions. If you're going strictly off first impressions, like I said, you're going to be robbing yourself of something truly special. And for me personally, you know, Mascaro and I, we've, uh, it's more than just a relationship. Like we, we have an internal bond. He's someone that, you know, even me, I've seen him as and Foster and him as Texar Mascaro. He's someone I look up to and, uh, he's my dude, right? So he's, he's my wingman. And, and I'm so glad I didn't give up on him after that first impression. Man, that was <laughs> kind of long-winded. I don't have the cardio yeah. for podcasting. Was Sergeant Foster 
failed to mention is that he knows that I hate when he tells a story. <laughs> but now this is this is everywhere, right? Yeah, it will be. <laughs> and I think there's about there's currently there's quite a few subscribers to the podcast. So yeah, that's good. We're doing and you pretty know well. That when this comes out, I'm giving it to ADF. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. You, can, you should teach it as a PDS. Yes. Lasting impressions. Yes. Miss Hussman, how you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. What's yes. new? Still waiting for a Dayros extension, but once that is good, I will be set to be in charge of ADF for the rest of my time in the Air Force. You know, you're someone else who also has a special place in my heart and uh, very near and dear because I don't know how long we worked together in ADF, but... Quite a while. <laughs> yeah. And, but I can't think of, you've been a fantastic, you are a fantastic leader in NCO. And I think you came there as A1C Huntsman, right? Senior Airman. Senior Airman, okay. Like you just got in BTZ and then you were selected for staff. That's right. Yes. I remember you and Slauson, I think were selected. Yes. Yeah, I came the same in for day. Yeah. <laughs> so how important is it to, you know, for the, for ADF, right? Just people waiting on their security clearances. But yeah, just what are your thoughts on the, on this position? I think it's super important because you have people that come in and they are gone within two weeks if they're eighth, or you've got people who are there over a year and you have to find a way because they're all excited at the beginning. They're all those new airmen. They're super blue. They want to do their jobs. And as time goes on, they kind of lose it, but you need to find a way to keep it there and tell them like, even if you can't do the exact job that you trained for, there's something that you can do when you are helping the Air Force, helping the flight, helping the squadron, helping the group, and like continue on. It's fine. It's good. We'll get so you, through it. You've been in this position for about two years now? About, yeah. I've been in and out with a few other things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've seen you around, right? Yeah. You talked about, you know, airmen are super blue. They're super excited when they first get here. Yes. And your experience, because you've probably seen three to 400 airmen come through now. Because I know when I was doing the job, 200 airmen had uh, had ran through ADF. But what's something that you found to that's been successful or like a, a good practice to keep people engaged and energized? So usually you'll always have airmen that want to do everything and they'll <laughs> volunteer for everything. And what you do is you put those airmen in charge and you make them bring the other airmen with them. Um, the airmen that aren't as motivated, even if they're not motivated to do the thing, they still want to hang out with their fellow airmen. <laughs> and so they're kind of forced to. But then as you watch people who are excited about their job, you get excited too. It's kind of hard not to. Yeah. So you let the other airmen be the leaders. Let them be the ones being like, it's not a sergeant being like, hey, this is great and awesome. It's the airmen being like, no, let's do this. This is fun. And they actually believe it when it's another airman. Yep. That is a fantastic <laughs> response. I love that. That motivates me and inspires me. What's probably like the, if you say like one lesson you learned or like the best lesson you've learned while working in uh, ADF over the past couple of years, what's, what's something that's just kind of like resonated with you? It's actually something I've learned from both of you two. Let's hear it. Taking care of the people. Like the very first person that I met on this island was Sergeant Mascaro. Um, my sponsor kind of dropped the ball. How was that first impression real quick? For him, it was great because my sponsor kind of texted me being like, I can't pick you up at the airport. Someone else is coming to pick you up. And so I was like at the USO waiting, kind of being like, I don't know who's picking me up. And I don't have a map of the base, so I can't find where I need to go. And then I get a phone call and it's like, I'm staff sergeant. There's a name. And I'm like, I don't didn't hear the name. He's so talkative, though. Right. <laughs> but it's a staff sergeant. So I'm not going to ask what his name is. But he picked me up, got made sure that I was all set, was ready to like, hey, if you need other stuff, I'll go drive right now. We'll go get it. 
I was just kind of like overwhelmed, like, no, I'm good. Coming into the flight, I don't believe you were there because I believe your son had just been born. Yeah. But hearing everyone talk about you was like, yeah, Master Sergeant Foster, he's here. I think when you came back, it was one of the first things that you said to the whole flight was thanking them for a gift that they got your son. And so it was just seeing this whole flight of like kind of casuals, transition airmen, caring enough about their leadership where like when you had a child, they gave you a gift. And then watching throughout the whole time, you message random people. You've sent emails after you were gone from ADF being like, hey, I just want to check in with you. Even though I'm not there, you're still my airman. Sergeant Mascaro takes the time. We'll talk one-on-one with airmen. And that I think that's your favorite part of the job. It is. And I think I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you you're off, good. but I think I picked that up from Sergeant Foster as well in my initial time down here on ADF. When I first came down here, the only thing I'd ever done before was mission, 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 <laughs> as Sergeant Foster likes to say. At that point, not a junior NCO, I'd been around for a bit, but I really didn't have that NCO piece. Really? I just worked mission. I didn't know anything about taking care of airmen other than like asking them how their day was or you know, making sure their training was done. And so when I came down here to ADF, and that became my job, or T-Flight at that time, I had to learn, because the, the job, the mission, 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 was being a leader and was taking care of airmen. And I struggled with that, but I, I was able to sort of watch you and how you did it. And what I really saw was that piece where, like, you have to, one, get to know your airmen. I know everyone talks about it all the time, but it's one thing to, for someone to say, get to know your airmen, and it's another thing to see it, right? And so I found myself starting to emulate you. And sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. I had to find my own way to do it, but it's definitely that piece, that one-on-one piece that you can have. Like, you, you see the greatest return on, right? And I, I mean, return in, like, they're satisfied. They know that you care. You build that relationship with them, and then it continues, that's definitely the best part, most rewarding part of the job. Those are both fantastic <laughs> responses, man. This is deep. I love it. Devin, so you said, you know, it's more than just asking people. Like, we all know that we're supposed to check up on our airmen and everything. But what's something specific that you do to get to know? You already said you talked about you have to get to know your airmen because everyone says that and everyone knows that, right? We hear it all the time on various platforms and PDSs or whatnot. But what's something specific you do to get to know your airmen? And you can feel free to chime in too, Huntsman. I'm really kind of fluid on this. It's not something specific. I don't have a go-to move or anything like that. I've also learned in the past that some people just, they don't, they don't want that interaction, or at least not right away. So you have to feel your airmen out. Sometimes that's, I mean, it's definitely easier said than done, but really I, I try to, you know, casually like small talk or little jokes, and then I'll share a story about myself. And then usually that's when they start opening up. And then once you build that relationship, then you could start, I don't know, getting a little bit more personal. Yeah. What's something specific you do? So currently with the whole COVID thing going on, a lot of the airmen aren't like eating well. So I had one of my airmen came in and we were just talking and he's a foodie. So he's like, I miss going to the restaurants. I miss eating good food. I've just been eating frozen meals, which like every once in a while, frozen meals are fine. It's kind of like childhood or college times. It's okay. But every single day, So recently, when I've been doing meal prep, I've just been making more. And then I have a few meals extra, and I've just been giving them to my airmen that I know. That's cool. And then just listening to what they actually need. Both of you are just amazing NCOs. I've always been super inspired. It's motivated by both of you. Well, yeah. mine was definitely 
fostered by both of you two. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first duty station. You guys were both my first supervisors. So, no, I uh, appreciate that. We won group team of the quarter. As the, like, and I hated, that was one thing I wanted to, I hated when we were called casuals, right? Like that used to really get under my skin. So I made that like a thing, but essentially, I mean, I, I get it, you know, we were the casual, but we were group team of the quarter. I mean, there's, it's a testament that, you know, you can do anything anywhere if you have the right attitude and the right people. So yeah, I still like to bring that up whenever I get the chance. We had a roll call not too long ago and I think I got fired up talking about yeah. it, not even realizing it, but like, as I started talking about it. It fired fired me up because people do look at this flight as a casual flight. I think it, that's less the case nowadays, but external to our organization, right? yeah. people still look at this as a casual flight. And that's that's wrong. You know, like the things that this flight has accomplished is not something casual flights. No. Like, I mean, during our time together, we were like we had nine people get BTZ at the base level. Yep. Group team in the quarter. People getting promote now and must promote on their EPR. So, I mean, there was people getting coined left and right. Like we had a member get coined by the chief of staff of the Air Force, right? Shout out to Hilton. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one of my favorite dudes of all time. <laughs> like he's slower than me for everyone listening and running, but <laughs> by contract, he's contractually obligated to admit that I'm faster than him. But so what's probably, I mentioned earlier, we spent a lot, we went through a lot together. Uh, what's some of your favorite memories? And how important is like just for flights, just to bond or just to get together and all that stuff? My two favorite mem- memories from when we were all together, I think, is the escape room. Oh, yeah. And then when we went to the zoo, when the zoo went to the zoo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. was a good one. Yeah. That was a really good one. So I think that was, that was when I was, my son, I was on leave, paternity leave uh, during that time. Yeah, I forgot about that, though. I, I, yeah. uh, that was organized by you and Appelt. Appelt. Yeah. Well, now Bernard. Now, Bernard. Right? Bernard. Yeah. yeah. That's right. The zoo went to the zoo. So question for both of you, how important is culture on for any team? Super important. Why? So culture kind of like forms, like how everyone's going to act and interact. You could just be like, here you go. You're here. This is the stuff that you need to do. But it's the culture, the traditions, the things that you make that make the team a family. It's the thing that's going to have everyone keep going during stuff like this, COVID where everyone's like, I don't want to do anything. But when you have a culture, you have people that you don't want to disappoint. So you're going to keep going. You want to keep that culture going so that the new people come in, they have something that they can look up to, and you want to be proud of it. So I think culture is super important. Yeah, just to tack on to that, it, like, it, culture is that identity, right? But the identities within teams is what forms bonds. And the way I always like to describe it is if you're sitting in your office space and some guy that you kind of know walks over and be like, hey, man, I'm moving this weekend. Could you help me move? You'd be like, you're going to find a reason to not do it or you're going to just yeah. say no, out, no outright. But if it's someone that you know that you have some sort of bond or connection with and they come over and ask you to help them move, then you're going to help them move, right? And I think that's what culture and identity is. It, it like builds those bonds where you want to take care of each other. We've actually had that happen. I moved into an apartment and I just put it into the zoo chat, not even to specific people. And I was like, I need help moving on this date. And it's like this many pieces of the furniture. And four guys that I had interacted with but hadn't been friends with were all just like, yeah, absolutely. And I tried to be like, I can buy you coffee. I can get you something. And they were all just like, no, I, no, you needed help. Yeah. We're here to help. That's awesome. So how do you build that? How do you get to that point? Because we know it has to be built, right? 
but how, how exactly, or what do you, and your, what's your opinion? What are your thoughts on how we get there? You have one leader <laughs> who decides that it's going to be something. And so you take it from a casuals and you make it a zoo. That's the tagline for the episode right there. <laughs> Seriously, for the YouTube video, that's good. Can you do a knife hand? Like, I don't know. <laughs> that's great. Can you follow that up? No. <laughs> you got to you gotta have your mission. You got to have your vision, right? But it's, yeah. I think that's, that's what Sergeant Huntsman is saying. So, you know, one thing I always heard was um, people say, well, it's easy when you only have to focus on this stuff. But what are some challenges that are unique? When people are saying like, well, you know, if, while people are waiting on their clearance, they only have to, you know, they don't necessarily have to focus, stress out about mission at all, right? What are just some unique challenges that people don't consider while your men are down here? Some hurdles that are like, oh, like no, we, no one else has to deal with. And you kind of talked about it earlier with the keeping people engaged because that's tough. I mean, you've got keeping people engaged. You've got the fact that we don't have answers because they all ask, when am I going up there? Yeah. When am I going to start working? And you never have that answer. And so it's making them understand like, this is why we don't have the answer. This is why you kind of have to learn that throughout your Air Force career, not everyone's going to have the answer and you teach them how they can be okay with it and what they can do to kind of mitigate or find the answers themselves or like look with other people and their experiences. Yeah. I'll go to you first next time. <laughs> you're, ki- you're killing it. You're hitting out of the park. So it sounds like scripted answers, but they're not. <laughs> this is all impromptu. So... Devin, seriously, man, I mentioned earlier that uh, you and I have a bond that I think no one else can replace or, you know, we talk about the mentor, mentee, and it's a two-way mentorship because there's some things you've mentored me on. Yeah, but just how important is that in general? Like, how important is the mentor-mentee relationship? If you drop a bombshell right now, I'm like, hey, I don't actually consider you a mentor or anything like that. Like, I would totally be crushed. <laughs> I would be heartbroken. No, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not going to say anything like that. Because that wouldn't be true. Um, I do consider you a mentor. First off, I've always struggled like myself with like, um, you know, it's on the ACA, right? Like, do you have someone that's a mentor? And I always, it always bugged me like coming up through like ever since they started doing the ACAs. I forget how long ago that started. Yeah. Always getting that question asked, do you have a mentor? I'm like, "Mm, no, not really. And then there's follow-up questions to you should find one. You you have to find a mentor or or stuff like that. And um, personally, like I, I never felt like that should be thrust upon you, right? Like that's got, it's got to be natural. Yeah. It's got to be natural. Someone that wants to be your mentor, that's a good thing, right? But maybe you don't have that kind of relationship. It, it, it has to be natural, one. And if you do have that, if that natural relationship or you see something in someone that inspires you, then that mentor, mentor, mentee relationship can develop and good things will come of that. I'm going to be honest, like you're the first person I consider my mentor. I picked up a couple others since then, but I think the mentor relation, the mentor mentee relationship is significant. It can change careers. It can change lives as it has mine. I met Sergeant Foster when I was a, a pretty dark place in my career. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't care. I was ready to give up. And then something about Sergeant Foster like really, really brought me back. Like it changed my career and changed my life. And now I find myself not trying to thrust mentorship on people, but like I really want to develop people. And if that happens naturally, then then great. But I'm going to keep trying to pass on the things that I've learned from you and other mentors. Man, that's that's deep. Yeah. So was there like a specific turning point where you're like, it just kind of clicked? Was there like maybe like one specific instance? Because like for me personally, 
I remember that, and I've told you that story before. I remember the day that I decided when I was going to, I've told you the deployment story, right? So, yeah, but I told you, you know, and that was, and I remember that day, June 20th, right? 2012 was kind of like the day that I decided where I was going to turn my career around and, you know, take ownership of that. But was there like a specific instance or a day that you can remember? Or not a specific day or instance, but it was <laughs> talk about first impressions. I know I shared this story with you when I first met Sergeant Foster. My first impression of him was like, "Is this guy serious?" Because he comes on a little intense, or a little strong. <laughs> but it was over time watching you, right, and seeing that you were genuine in the things that you were saying, and actually seeing the way the airmen were responding to you. Really, something started to sink in when I saw that. I mean, like I said, I think I mentioned it earlier, like I started finding myself emulating you. I remember it. <laughs> you and Barnhart, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The squadron promotion, Barnhart too, at a squadron promotion ceremony, Airman Peterson. That's right. All right. So Airman Peterson was called up and uh, he asked me to talk on his behalf and I did a little speech for him, which was good. And then right afterwards, like after the promotion ceremony, uh, someone, <laughs> someone came up to me. They're like, you're like a mini Sergeant Foster, <laughs> you know? Do you remember what else happened that day? Yeah, I do, but I wasn't going to bring that up. Okay, yeah. I got so pissed at him that day, like <laughs> earlier in the Oh, man. And I told him, I said, like, we're going to enjoy today. Tomorrow, we're going to have a counseling or whatever. Like, okay. <laughs> I wouldn't ruin the moment. But yeah, it's all good fun. Was there like a specific instance or moment for you that kind of sparked something or like kind of like, you know, further ignited aside from... Maybe you had a bad experience when you upon your arrival, but <laughs> yeah, was there just kind of like a moment or anything that kind of just triggered the positive trajectory? So I've been lucky like throughout my whole life where most of the people that I've been surrounded by have been like good mentors all the way from like basketball coach to my first job, the, my manager to like even tech school, my sergeants there to here. And so I think it's just been like always being surrounded by these positive people and seeing like, hey, this is where I'm at, but this is what I'm working towards. There's always something better. There's always something to work towards. And it's not you're just bettering yourself, you're bettering the people around you. And so I think from seeing that throughout my whole entire life has just kind of led my course. Man, that's good. Yeah. I remember like uh, you became the office manager and you're... I was like, just a go-to. I remember being surprised to be asked because I was the new person. And I was just like, why am I being trusted with this? I had a like, positive attitude and just like, just the way you, you didn't make a great first impression. I know we talked about more than just a great first impression, great lasting impression, but positive attitude, can-do attitude, maturity. I think over the course of, I, I did the job for 14 months. And again, I met you early on in my tenure, but at that point I'd been around over a hundred different people. So I could kind of, you know, some some people just easily stood out in terms of maturity and professionalism and everything. And and it became like our own like mini squadron. You know, people came talk to me like, you talked to Sergeant Mascaro, Sergeant Huntsman first. You know, just to, like, because I wanted to like, groom you, both of you as as a new, like, you know, senior airman and office manager position. And then you as my NCO during that time. And you weren't even like supposed to be down here. You were just like waiting on your clearance too. And that's what the beauty of all this is, is that, you know, it wasn't planned. It's not like, I, you know, you were specifically hired for the position, but you, I mean, you, I don't know, you, you made the best, you absolutely made the best of it. And you just, just knocked it to the moon. What's your favorite story about Mascaro 
and then me. Oh my God. Besides the French fry stories, I know that's one of your favorites. It is one of my favorites. I don't think I have a specific story for you, Foster. What about Uh, you? Because for you, it's been like, just your energy is something that you remember. Because every single Friday, you would have that zoo flag and you would march up and down as you talk to the flight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And be like, what's your why? What are your airmen first? And like, you always just had this energy of like uplifting of like, hey, it might be not the best time for everyone right now, but you can still find like the silver lining. And so it's like, even if you're in a downtime, it's like, it's going to be okay because you're going to work towards it and it's going to be fine. Yeah. And so I feel like you just have that energy. And so that's something like whenever I think of you, that's what I think of. That's awesome. And then... That's good. What about for this guy? Mascara. The one memory sticks out is... um. Here we go. (laughs) It was the escape room. Because I remember you took such a back seat <laughs> and then there was one puzzle that we figured out and it was like negative spaces created a number and it was the code and he could not like see it. <laughs> and so he's like standing there as like everyone else is continuing on trying to get out of the room. He's like, how did you see that? And I was just like trying to explain it. That's the one memory. But then that was a good night, though. It was. We invited like a bunch of airmen, you know, from, from transition flight. And we had a, like, a, you know, you being one of them. And we had a pretty good, like, we had a couple of airmen show up. And it was just a fun time. I remember that and like the Mongolian barbecue. I remember. Oh, uh, the Mongolian barbecue. That was good. Yeah, that was cool. Like, I wanted to have like flight dinners and stuff. Yeah. That escape room was tough, though. That was one of the tougher ones. So, was, uh, yeah. yeah. I think I've solved at least one puzzle. And every es- escape room. And then You're after clutch. that, I feel like I've done enough. No. <laughs> now, you did, uh, now, you did well that night, man. I remember. Yeah. So what are, what's your, some of your favorite memories just from um, T-Flight and then also from Miss Huntsman over here? Yeah. So that zoo trip that Sergeant Huntsman brought up was really, that was really a good time. I think that was the first like sort of offsite sort of training day we'd ever done before. And I think we all got to know each other a little bit better that day. We did a scavenger hunt at the zoo, which was awesome. So everyone split (laughs) up into teams. And while they were doing the scavenger hunt, they had to ask, you know, their teammates questions about themselves. I don't remember if there were scripted questions or if it was just random. And then when the scavenger hunt was over, everyone had to come back and share what they learned about everyone else. And it was cool. It was fun. And then afterwards, we went, we got burgers. At cheeseburger and uh, what's it called? Cheeseburger in Paradise. And then somebody tried, the was spar- it one person or two people tried to do their big challenge? So that was Esparza who tried to eat like the, I don't know, 30 pound burger or whatever. That's unlike Luis. He's not very competitive. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. I think he was just trying to show off. He was like, no. I'm going to order this. Didn't yeah. finish it. He's also slower than me. No, no I'm joking though. He's going to try to challenge me. But like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he will. And then for Sergeant Huntsman, I don't, you don't know this, but I share your story almost every time I do like one-on-one sessions with the other airmen. I talk about certain huntsmen. I mean, cause she did, she came here, she was put in the, she was selected to be office manager almost right away. She did very well in that position. And then she became staff sergeant and then she took over for me, but specifically with, with Sergeant Huntsman, when she was still an office manager, what she would do is, I mean, because 
in reality, when the airmen come here, sometimes they're they're too they're out of text, fresh out of tech school, right? Yeah. So they're too intimidated to talk to the NCOs, and that's part of our job is to make them comfortable. But they would have feedback for us, and they wouldn't bring it up, right? So senior airman huntsman at the time, like she was sort of like the pulse. She had the pulse of the airman on her flight, and like she had no problems coming up to us and telling us what's what. She still has no problems telling people what's what. Yeah. <laughs> but she she would she was that bridge, right? Like so she was she was one of them. She was in a leadership position and she was able to communicate what the airmen needed so that we can make things better for them. And I like I remember I mean you've you've done that many times, but the first time you did that, I thought that was really, really cool. And then just seeing you find your own voice as the NCOIC of of ADF has been special. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> so did you know, like, that's, yeah, that's in the fields, right? You talked about, you know, you finding your own voice in ADF. So how, uh, what's your advice to some of your peers, your E5 peers? How can they find their voice leading their respective teams? Well, hopefully they're as lucky as I was with having people above you that you were comfortable speaking with. I was really lucky as I was coming into Staff Sergeant. I had Technical Sergeant Mascaro and Technical Sergeant Matthews. JBJ. Yep. And both of them are very much, hey, this is your position. Do with it what you will. If you do something wrong, I will tell you. And so it was, I got to figure it out. They allowed me to grow. So hopefully new Staff Sergeants, they have that. And it's you put your trust in your leadership because go ahead, go on. If it's a really wild idea, yeah, run it by them first, <laughs> but go ahead and go. They will pull you back if you're going too much. They will tell you if you're doing it wrong. So what about if someone maybe doesn't trust their leadership or they their, their leadership's maybe not, it's not as approachable? Yeah, then look to your subordinates. See how far are they willing to follow you? Because if they're willing to follow you in one direction, then start going that direction because also your subordinates can see like, oh, maybe that's not right. Like everyone else is doing this. Should we maybe not be doing yeah. this other yeah. thing? Like your subordinates can do that too. Yeah. And hopefully like if you're a new staff sergeant, your subordinates are your friends because you were just one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so do the same thing, but then look down instead. Yeah, that's a good point. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So what's your advice? Because you're someone who's been on a lot of different flights. You've worked up at the side. You've worked down here. You've been around a lot of senior NCOs. Well, two-part question. What do you want out of leaders? And what's your advice to leaders? So I'll, I think I'll start with the second part first. You have to watch. You have to watch. Well, what I mean like watch is like you have to find the pulse of where you're at right now. The people that you're trying to lead first, right? See what it is that they need. And then adjust, right? Like you, you, like you have your own guiding principles, your own mission, yeah. your own vision, right? But that needs to be um, applied to the unit that you're serving, right? Sort of like uh, how Bill Belichick does, right? He doesn't, he doesn't just have a system that says, I mean, his system is like do your job, right? But he takes all of these different pieces, castoffs from other teams, and he finds to make his leadership style work best through all these different mishmash pieces put together. I think I think leaders have to start with knowing what it is they have, get the pulse of their unit first and seeing how they can best serve them. And what do I want from leaders? I want them to have my back. That's it. Take care of your people. 
That's good. What are some like negative things you've seen from leaders in the past? So there's this, this story where I forget what it was, some sort of quarterly award, right? Let's call it the NCO, NCO of the quarter oh, yeah. award. And maybe this is normal, maybe it's not, but I, I think it says something where this person was submitting their subordinate for award and they were submitting themselves for that same exact award. It doesn't sit well with me, right? If you're supposed to be taking care of your airmen, why are you competing against them at the same time? Like, yeah. Or pick a different quarter or, or something. something like, right? like, yeah. It's just an example of something, someone being selfish, right? When I say you want your leaders to have your back, if they're serving their own needs first before they are their airmen, then that's, that's going to have an effect on their people. So that's one small example of that. I know there's certainly bigger ones. I don't like to go down that negative path, but, sure. but basically like you got to, I mean, you have to be selfish in your life, right? But you got to, when you're in that leadership position, you got to be more selfless than selfish. Selfish. I couldn't have said it better myself. I want to go down some, some lighter topics. Devin Mascaro. Yes, sir. If there's a movie made about your life, what would the name of that movie be? And then who would play you in that movie? The movie would be called Minimalist. Keanu Reeves would, would portray me because he's such an expressive guy. Would he also play everyone else because it is minimalist? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's such an expressive guy. You're very expressive. Yeah. That's what people say about you. Yep. I bet. <laughs> I'll ask that same question to you, but then I have a separate question. So like the first time I did my intro brief, there would not be a movie. Right, because we would do those intro briefs, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there would be a book. I don't know about title because that's never been asked. I feel like it'd probably have some type of happy, positive title because my life has been pretty good. I've been very lucky. Yeah. I, I, I remember like all the briefs that we had Aaron do. That was great. Oh my God. Like, O'Neal's still the best. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. Just, yeah. <laughs> we, brought, we brought him back like two or three times after yeah. we used to do his intro <laughs> I've brief. seen it twice. He did it at ALS. What? He brought it back. So it, it was one of like the first briefs that you do is supposed to be yeah. like a impromptu. When they went around the room, they were writing stuff about you. And so they made him do a brief. I don't know what the topic was, but he apparently brought it back and did the whole entire speech. Because he's such a like mild mannered guy. So when he goes into like that expressive monologue. Yeah. That's what we call it in the biz, Devin, in the biz. That's great. Uh, hashtag Pulp Fiction. All right. So Huntsman, I want to ask you if there's a movie or any type of image, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a movie image or any other image that depicts leadership, who or what comes to mind? Okay. So not a movie, but I've been recently rewatching Star Trek and Ensign Crusher is in there and he's like this teenager who's learning leadership. And there's one episode where he gets put in charge and he's in charge of people that are older than him. And the whole episode is him going up to like other people being like, how do I lead people who are older than me? Like, I don't have like authority. Yeah. And it's him learning like, we put you there. They trust us. So they will trust you. Listen to them because they have the experience. But it's up to you to make the decision. So I know you're, you're, you're very young, but there's people joining the military today are older and older. So we've had quite a few. We've even had some airmen older than me, I think. So, but you were placed in a leadership position. So how did you handle that? Or what's your advice to to other people who have to, when you're younger, but you have to lead people that are older than you? 
Luckily, we're very lucky that we're in the military. So we have a baseline of respect. So hopefully everyone is respecting each other just because we all chose to put this uniform on. From there, it's a, hey, I've been in longer. Yes, you are older than me and you have more life experience. But right now, military experience, I've got you one-upped. I know this flight more. This is why I've been put in charge. Trust me right now to lead you so that later on, you'll be put in that position of power because you'll be the one with the experience and you'll be the one with the knowledge. So it's kind of like just like a one-on-one personal conversation. Like, hey, I respect your, you know, your previous experience, but yep. in order for us to best move forward, you know, here's what, how we can help each other. It's good. Same question for you about the movie image. Who or what comes to mind? And you cannot say Keanu Reeves again. <laughs> so I might be getting his name wrong, but I think I, think I got it right. Bill Pullman, president, ID4. Independence Day. Yeah. Good job. Why? <laughs> Just the speech. What's the speech? Something like, uh, we will not go silently into the night. We will not go out without a fight. We're going to go on. We're going to survive. And today, we celebrate our Independence Day. Don't act like uh, something like, I don't know, I, I think it's <laughs> like this, and you just cite the whole thing. That's a great speech. I'll have to go back and watch that later. Before we close out, is there anything on your mind? Any other parting shots? I do have one last question, but we're gonna say, I'm going to save it. <laughs> no, this is cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be honest. Like I was dragging my feet on this. Wow. I, don't, I don't like being in front of the camera. I don't like this is awkward for me, but this was actually fun. So, I mean, you made it comfortable. I made it feel like it was just chatting. Did you like my questions? Did you feel like they were good? <laughs> I thought they were invasive. Really? No, I'm just oh. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I'm glad that we got to do this before you two left. Yeah. It's all happening so fast. Yeah. Life happens fast. I did the transition job two and a half, over two and a half years ago is when I started that job. I think it was November 13th, 2017. And then January, I think 15th of last year was my last day. I've done two other jobs since then. So it's just life moves fast, right? So any other parting shots from you? Anything else? No parting shots. I remember the best advice you ever gave me. What do you think it is? I know what it is. What? I wouldn't lead with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I did my intro brief. I don't know if you were there for it. I don't think so. Yeah. And because I think you got here in what, January or February or something? Yeah, yeah. I started in November and I think I was like, hey, we're going to do this. I want new people, everyone to start giving their briefs, mascara, I'm going to have you on the program, whatever. Everyone has to do it, but I'm not going to make people do it without me doing it first. Or I think I made both of us do it or whatever it was. And this is before he and I had really like connected or whatever, because it even still felt like a little awkward whenever I first started, right? I think you you were in class or something. Yeah, I was in language class. Yeah, so whenever you came back, so it was, it's not like we hit it off right away. It was a bond that was built over the course of 14 months and since then. But I gave my speech and I talked about a physical confrontation. <laughs> it, was, it was just a story from the past. I was sharing like a personal story. And then he pulled me aside afterwards, like, hey, great speech. Like, he gave me, like, great points, but he was like, maybe don't lead with that next time. <laughs> like, with the, some of the things I led with. And that, that makes me laugh I, when I go back and think, because I was getting so amped up or whatever. Yeah, and I was yeah. so, you know, like, ah. Oh. Uh, 
Last question for both of you. I'll give, I'm going to give you time to think of it. So, If there's a billboard with your picture on it and it had your message for everyone to see. So if there's a big traffic jam and people are just chilling on the highway for two hours and the only thing they can see is your billboard with your message, what do you want that message to say? Understand. Okay. Take a breath. Can you explain on that? Don't be reactionary. No knee-jerk reactions. Take your time. Assess what the situation is, whatever it is. Just take a breath first. That's good. We'll, we'll end with that. No other thoughts? No. Uh, no other thoughts. But if we can if we can get everyone to start calling him the Foz, that would be great. <laughs> I was going to talk about that earlier, too, and I forgot, I forgot to bring that up. But before we even started recording, I was thinking about that. She always called me the Foz, whatever. So... Someone else would call me that too. Maybe it was Beats. I don't remember. So Beats, Beats is, is um, Bobby Beats Barnhart. Bobby Beats Barnhart. <laughs> shout, out, shout out to Beats. Bet. Bet. Yo, Devin. <laughs> so you talked about emulating me. He did that one day too. And he was... <laughs> it was good. It was good. He's awesome too. Like he was a guy that... Uh, he went group NCO the quarter, I think, and I mean he was killing it down here too. Um, but we had a, a damn, a great team, huh? Yeah, so, a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. All right, everyone, that wraps up for today. So I just want to thank Devin Mascaro and Kathleen Hunson just for humoring me, for joining me on today's podcast. Again, we talked about just the mentor-mentee relationship and also lasting impressions. People want to hear your thoughts, your feedback. So yeah, let me know. All right, if you want to help support, just like and share the the post on the Facebook page and also subscribe. You can find the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. All you have to search for is 692D Podcast. You'll see the logo. You'll see hosted by with my name on it. Subscribe, listen, help. We're trying to do something positive and help mentor each other. All right, everyone. That's it for today. Thanks. Thanks.